0: Good morning, village. It is good to worship together, to pray together. I think of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world um, having to face a whole different environment than we do, to worship, to come together and sing, to come together and pray and study God's Word. I want to start with a question. How do you know what's important to someone? What are they what? What do they talk about? Okay thought of wearing my Dodger hat as I was asking this question. How do you know what's important to someone? What they talk about? Where they, spend their money. Where they spend their money. Absolutely. What? What they wear. That can say something like your team stuff or different branding. Sure. Good answer. How they spend their time. Yeah, if someone says my wife is important to me and never talks to her. You know, there's there's issues. Um, but um, yeah, how they spend their time. And and that's important. So all these things, we've hit money, we've hit what we talk about, we've hit how we spend our time. These are things that give us clues into what's important to us. Um, this morning as we talk through Acts 20, we want to talk about what was important to Paul. And Paul here is saying farewell to the elders at Ephesus, farewell to the church, right? And because he knows he is going to Jerusalem and he believes this is the last time he's going to see these brothers in Christ that he has been training, that he has been discipling. And so he is passing on things. And last week he he talked about his philosophy of, of ministry, how he did ministry and the example of ministry. This week we're going to see his commitment to ministry. We're going to ask the question, what was important to Paul? And we'll see how he spent his time was part of that. What he talked about, what he focused on, shows us what was important to him. And then we'll look at his last instructions or the training, the ministry training to the elders in Ephesus. And so we can learn so much about ministry even from the second half of this text today. And like last week, this text is not just written to elders. It's written to anyone that disciples anyone else. It's, it's written to anyone that is doing any ministry in the church. It's, I, I believe you can apply these principles to leading your home and discipling your kids and your children. And so there are so many things here that these are principles we are to aspire to, that we are to strive to reproduce. And so the first question is, what's important to us? What's important to us? Augustine, one of the stories about Augustine is that he once had a dream and a repeated dream that he would approach the gates of heaven. Now, this is Augustine's dream. I'm not saying there's gates in heaven. I'm not saying there's someone you have to talk to to get in. This is his dream. Okay, good on that. Um, He comes, approaches the gates of heaven. An angel stopped him before he could enter and said, who are you? He responded, Christianus ego sum. I am a Christian in English. No, said the angel. You are a Cicero- Ciceronian. Here we judge people by what interests them. And you have interest only in the classics. Books. Augustine claimed that as a result of the dream, he changed his habits and devoted much more attention to the scriptures and to living for God. It's a dream. So, so do, Don't take away, Pastor Ron said, we're going to be judged by how we spent our time as we come into the the gates of heaven and whether or not we get in or not. Heaven is only a result, and being part of the kingdom is only a result of whether we believe in Jesus Christ, and we know that. But Augustine here was struggling with what's important to him. How does he spend his time in this case? What does he spend his energy on? And, and this is his um, sanctification process where God is saying, if it's, if it's on other things other than me, if other things are taking a priority other than God, then God isn't your priority. Then God isn't what's most important. And so as we come to the text today in Acts chapter 20, we find Paul answering that same question. What's important to him? Where did he spend his time and energy and thoughts and and, and prayers? So turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And as we we looked at the first section last week, 17 through 21, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 38, the rest of the goodbye today. And and I've titled this uh, a good, hard goodbye. Because Paul is, these are good friends. It's a good goodbye But it's hard because they're good friends and he won't be seeing them again. But he wants to pass the baton of ministry, especially to them, to the church at Ephesus where he spent three years building relationships, building into people, building into this church. And so he wants to pass that on well. So Acts chapter 20, we'll be starting at verse verse 22. And the first section there is Paul is single-minded putting God's work above all else. Paul is single-minded, putting God's work above all else. What's important to Paul? The work of Christ, the gospel. That supersedes everything else. And actually, as I was studying, we could go to 20 different passages in the New Testament and see the same thing. We just happen to be in Acts today. And, And the other thing that's interesting to me is this is Luke recording this, a friend of Paul's, not Paul. And so if this wasn't true, Luke would be like, nope, that's not what actually happened. So this is one of his closest friends recording what Paul was actually like. And so we start with, with verse 22. And, and so Paul is single-minded, putting God's work above all else. And then through these verses, he lists some things or he shares some things that don't stop him from the word, from the word from the work of Christ. They won't deter Paul from the gospel, from doing what God wants him to do. So we start with verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Remember, he's on his way back from the third missionary journey, and he's come back just beyond Ephesus to Miletus, brings the elders down. From here, he is going to get on a boat, and he's going to head to Jerusalem. Stop on the way but he's going to head to Jerusalem. He's probably taking an offering that was collected for the church at Jerusalem for some troubled times, taking that back, but he knows that trouble probably is waiting for him in Jerusalem. And that's going to be confirmed in our text next week. And so starts, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. And so right from the start, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. God is wanting me to go. Constrained is this idea of compelled or forced. Um, It's it's actually the same image as being bound in chains. And he's using it as a symbol to say, once the Holy Spirit has pressed on him what he should do, once he knows about the work that God wants him to do, he can't do anything else. That's what he has to do. He's constrained to do that. He's compelled to do that. And we see Paul's commitment to following God's work. His commitment to following the Holy Spirit, the idea of being tied up by the Spirit so he can do nothing else, and he was strongly convinced that this was God, what God wanted to do. And the last phrase, "Not knowing what will happen to me there," how many of you like uncertainty? You know, we're gonna we're gonna drive home, and it won't it won't matter if we know we're gonna get home or not won't matter if we know whether we're going to get an accident or not. Or maybe you're going on vacation and you're like, I don't know where we're going. We're just going to drive that way. And now that actually sounds like a pretty cool vacation to me. But um, <laughs> the uncertainty in those things, okay, we can handle. But what about uncertainty of work? You don't know whether you'll have a job next week. What about uncertainty of health? And we don't know what God's doing there. And there's all kinds of uncertainties that we deal with that I haven't met very many people that are like, I love uncertainty. I love thinking there's trouble around the next corner, but I'm not sure. And Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem. I have this sense that it's not good. I have this sense that I'm not going to see you again. But I'm going to go anyway because God's work is more important. And so uncertainty, letter A there, uncertainty won't stop him from going where God wants him to go. I think in your notes I just have words to think of. What won't deter Paul from God's work? Uncertainty. Uncertainty. He didn't know what trials or sufferings would be there. He didn't know if it would lead to his death, and that was quite a possibility. That's not just, oh, I might die there. No, it was a real possibility that this could lead to imprisonment and death. And it did. Lead that direction, but he was gripped by God. And that was what one of the, the scholars uses that word gripped. And I love that word. He was gripped by God and could do nothing else. That is a life of laser focus for God, of being single minded for God. Now how many times do we want all of our ducks in a row and we want to know everything that's going to happen before we serve God in a certain way or before we take a risk for God before we step out and do anything. And when it comes to following Christ, when it comes to doing his work, don't let uncertainty stop you. Because there is no such thing as uncertainty with God. That's only with us. There is no such thing with uncertainty with God as uncertainty with God. So why not step out in faith for God? Why not do his work? And so Paul starts by saying uncertainty won't deter him. The next verse, danger won't deter him, or difficulties and unsafe circumstances won't stop. 23, except that, so he said, I'm not knowing what will happen to me there. 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it's probably jail and beatings. That's sort of what the verse says. And you know what? I'm going to go. Because again, Paul is so gripped by the Spirit and so gripped by God that he won't let those things stop. What an example to the Ephesian elders to, to say, this is how you walk with God. This is how you're sold out with God. We love the phrase, I'm sold out for Jesus. But that means uncertainty doesn't stop us. That means danger doesn't stop us. That means the the next two things don't stop us. And and this is hard in a world where we love safety. We love safety. And as parents, we think one of our highest priorities for our kids is to keep them safe. And I'm going to challenge you this morning and say that's not your highest priority as a parent. Your highest priority as a parent isn't to make safe kids, but to make disciples. And that might mean taking some risks. That might mean helping them step way out of their comfort zone. That might mean trusting them to God out of your sight sometimes. And, and, and so Paul here is like, danger, that's not going to stop me. Trials. When we face trials, we can shut down from ministry. We can shut down from doing God's work. This is me time. I need my safe place. Not making fun of anything. Well, I am. Um, And we shut down with trials because we think the world's all about us. And God's saying, I want to use your trials for me. Don't waste your trials. But use them for God. Danger, being afraid of what's going to happen. We don't have to because, again, God is not a God of uncertainty. So how do we begin to get past this idol of security and safety? Start to step out of your comfort zones in simple ways. Start to try things for Christ that you haven't tried. You know, it might be talking to a neighbor that you're just afraid to talk to about the gospel And it might mean this week going and knocking on their door and saying, How are you? How are you doing? Thanksgiving's coming up. Anything I can pray for you about? Thanksgiving, Christmas, anything you need? And that might be out of our comfort zone. And some of you are thinking, That's not an issue of safety. It's just being a good neighbor. Well, it's hard. It can be hard. Maybe it's talking to a co-worker about Christ. Maybe it's looking at the next mission trip we do and saying, I'm going to go on a mission trip. Even if it's out of the country and I don't think it's safe. That's a, that's a God thing, not an us thing. But start by stepping out of your comfort zone because the gospel and the work of Christ is more important. It's more important than our certainty, it's more important than our safety. That's what it means to say this is most important. 24, just Paul, Paul ups the ante here. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. So uncertainty won't stop him. Danger won't stop him. Life won't stop him his own life, because he truly sees his life as secondary to the work of God. And so he's willing to risk his very life to share the gospel because our lives are secondary. And and I think life here we can view a couple different ways. He here is looking at the possibility of death. So he's thinking losing the breath of life, losing my life. But for us, that's probably not our risk, but maybe we think of how have I built my life. Am I willing to give up and sacrifice the things I've built, the, the, the home I've built, the family I've built, the lifestyle I've built, the, the patterns I've built? Because we cling to those, don't we? we I do. I, I, I don't like things out of the, the pattern of this, this life I've built. And there's the problem, the life I've built. the the family I've built, the home I've built. And so part of when when we see Paul being willing to view his life as less valuable than the gospel, don't just think of that's a hill I'd die on, but think of would I sacrifice everything I have? Would I sacrifice everything I've built? That may be a better application for us. He says, I do not account my life, my very life and being, but also my stuff. I don't account that of any value or as precious to myself. My desires, I don't cling to them. If only I may finish my course. And he's using race metaphor here, much like Second Timothy, where he says, I have finished the course, I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. And here he's saying, that's my goal to do what God asks me to do in this life. And he goes on, what is that? It's what I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This village, this is what makes a life worth living. You you can pursue stuff, you can pursue toys, you can pursue leisure, you can pursue having a a great job that gives you time off for your great work-life balance so you can have fun and do what you want. And none of that brings lasting meaning. It's fun for a while, but that's not a life worth living because it doesn't last. Sharing the gospel, discipling a brother and sister for Christ being there to sit with someone that's crying, being there to encourage and comfort and laugh with those that laugh and weep with those that weep, that is a life of significance. That is a life worth living. But oh, oh, we settle for less by pursuing our own desires. This is what God calls us to be, to testify to the gospel of Christ the grace of God. To follow Jesus in everything we do. This is the priority. I mentioned 2nd Timothy 4.7. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In Philippians 2.17, he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Philippians 3 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything's lost compared to knowing Christ, following Him. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so, this means to sacrifice my wants, my protection, my security. My desires for the cause of Christ. We sang that song this morning, The Cause of Christ. And that's a hard song. I love that song, but it's a hard song to sing because every time I sing it, I'm like, is this really me today? Am I willing to sacrifice anything for my Lord? And I hope it is. I pray it is. We sing it because we want to affirm that. But to live this way for Christ means to give up our lives for Christ, to die for Christ means I will use my life as a tool for Christ not to build my own pleasure. My life is a tool for Christ, not my ultimate goal. And so then that gives me a better mindset. How can God use my circumstances? How can God use my life? Whether it's long or short, how will God be glorified in what I do? And, and my, my fear this morning is you've heard me talk about this. This is it, it can be like, well, that's what pastors are supposed to say. Live for Christ. All in for Christ. But we see it over and over in Scripture. And I pray that the example of Paul says this is how you should live. This is how I should live. Do I give a thought during the week to how each moment glorifies God? When I make decisions for what I do and what I spend time on and what I spend money on, is there a thought of how can I do this better for Christ and the gospel? And so this, this particular point means how am I going to lose, or how am I going to use my life for Christ? How am I going to use... My trials for Christ. And this point has become just oh so real in the last few years with some of the things my family has gone through. Because choices come up. What do we live for? And we have chosen to still live for Christ. And to give all for Him. That is what Paul is saying. I think of Jesus' parable of the kingdom. When he says the kingdom is like a treasure in a field. Remember that one? So it just, It's just one or two verses. Kingdom's like a treasure in a field. A guy finds it, is amazed by it, so he goes and sells all he has and buys the field for this incredible treasure. That's what we're talking about here. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a killjoy and saying, let's ruin our lives for Christ. What I'm saying is if we sell everything that is earthly and temporal for the kingdom for Christ, the treasure is far greater. I I hope we understand what Jesus is offering here by sacrificing self for the kingdom is a better life. Not your best life now, but a better life that has meaning for all eternity, that has significance. This is what Paul wants to get across to the Ephesian elders. Because this is the model for anyone in ministry. Serving in ministry. How can I use my life? How can I use my stuff? How can I use my experiences? All to further the kingdom of God. He goes on 25-27. The last thing in the list of things that won't stop him from serving God or won't deter him. Friendships or Relationships. And again, we're not saying don't have friendships and relationships. It's not what we're saying. Fellowship or community is one of our core values. It's a gift of God to the church. But if that becomes most important, it becomes an idol and keeps us from serving God, right? And so here in verse 25, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He said... for. None of you, for the last three years, we've lived together, we've served together, we've ministered together, you have been my closest friends. I know that if I follow God on this path, I will not see your face again. That's sobering. That is commitment to doing God's work, even over the comfort and the joys of friendship. And he goes on to say, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Weird thing to say after, after saying they won't see him again. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And, and, and the idea of that statement, it, it's, a, it's an idea of a watchman probably taken from Ezekiel. And what he's saying is, I was watching out for you and I was willing to tell you that you needed Christ. I was willing to tell you that that trouble and eternal destruction is what awaits you without Christ. I was willing to say the hard things. And so the idea of a watchman is if the watchman sees the enemy coming, danger coming, and says, watch out, it's coming, wakes everyone up. And and then if the person goes back to bed and lets the army come, whose fault is that? It's the person's, not the watchman's, right? Because the watchman did his job. And so Paul is saying, I did my job as a watchman. I told you without Christ that there's eternal destruction and hell. I told you that with Christ there is grace and forgiveness of sins because of his work on the cross. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so I've done my work, I've finished the course, I've pointed you to Christ. Now, what are you going to do with it? That is the idea of that passage. But all of this, he was willing to risk friendships to speak truth. We talked about that last week. He's willing to put friendships on hold to go and serve Christ. He couldn't just go to Jerusalem and hop on Facebook and say, hey, how are you doing? He couldn't send some Instagram pictures from Rome. There was no connection anymore. Letters took months. And so he was willing to leave his dearest friends to serve Christ. What was most important to Paul? The work of Christ. The gospel. He was single-minded about it. He was laser-focused on it. And he was determined. The second half or the, the last section, second half of today, but the third, third um, movement in this section is how Paul passes the baton. And he passes the baton by giving instruction on how to minister. So up till now, it's been the example of my life. This is the passion of my life. And now he gives some instruction. This is what you should do. This is what you need to watch out for. And so this is a ministry training 101 from Paul. And the first thing in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And catch the first one. The very first thing he says is watch out for compromise and sin in your life. Watch out for compromise and sin in your life. Keep watch of yourself. We have all seen through our lifetime, and it just feels like it's accelerated the last 10 years, moral failure after moral failure after moral failure of spiritual leaders. And those are cases where Satan has attacked people that were effective in ministry through moral failure in their life, through not watching out for themselves. And so Paul's telling the leaders, first things first, make sure you're right with God. Make sure there's no compromise. Make sure you have structures in place to keep there from being compromised. Watch out for yourselves. The wording pay careful attention means to guard or to watch out for. The watchman um, metaphor still is being carried on here. And so it's to be alert, to be vigilant, to notice, and always ask yourself, am I right with God? And, and watching out for ourselves, I, I think there's two major areas that Satan can attack and especially someone that's discipling or in ministry one is in moral failure, the other is in wrong beliefs. And he can get us to creep into wrong beliefs because if he can get us to teach things that aren't biblical, t- teach us to veer from the word, that accomplishes his purposes as well. And so moral failure obviously does, but compromise belief, twisting the Bible, often because I want it to say something different from what it actually says. I don't like that doctrine. I don't like what it says there. You know, if I look at this verse and take it by itself and twist it this way, I can make it mean something else. That's not watching out for ourselves. So there's moral compromise. There's doctrinal compromise. Satan will attack those discipling others. We've made a call that we want to be a discipling church. We want to disciple others. And in some ways, that's a call to experience Satan's attack. But again, the focus is worth it. A life worth living is worth it. C.S. Lewis has a way with words. In um, his Letters to Malcolm book, he writes this about guarding yourself. The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. Let me read that again because it's just classic. The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. None of us have arrived. Fair? If you have, none of us have arrived. (laughs) And so we are all fighting sin. We are all fighting things inside of us that Satan is trying to bring out of the cesspool into the open and trying to make control our lives. And we need to be constantly... Pushing that down. But then the second thing he mentions there, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Lean into watching out for and shepherding God's church. Lean into watching out for and shepherding God's church. Embrace that. This is something that not just the pastors do, not just the elders do. We all are to protect God's church. We all are to be discipling. We all are part of caring for God's church. I I see this all the time as I see care happening, especially with so many trials happening and and loved ones passing away and sickness and other people are carrying and notes and meals. And that's all part of watching out for the church and leaning into that and shepherding the church. 28, pay pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he's talking to the elders here. So the, the verses to the elders we can gain insight and and application from it. Overseers there is just another word. It's another word that is often used for elders. There's there's some debate there, but even in this passage, Paul has just said the elders at Ephesus, and now he's calling them overseers. He's using them um, interchangeably. And so he's telling the the overseers, pay attention to the flock. This is your charge take notice. Notice each other when you're hurting. Notice each other when there's failure. When there's needs. It goes on to care for the church of God. And the word for care there means to shepherd. It actually is the the Greek word for shepherd. To care or to shepherd the flock of God. Think of what a shepherd does. And we've talked about this before. Uh, A shepherd has multiple roles in the life of the sheep, all of which keep them alive. But a shepherd guides the sheep, right? A shepherd protects the sheep from intruders, from danger. A shepherd leads the sheep to food and feeds the sheep. A shepherd cares for the sheep. So guides, protects, cares, and feeds. That becomes a great illustration of what we are to be when we are in ministry. What we are to be when we are discipling. When we are caring for others. And so a shepherd, an overseer, is always on watch for potential dangers. Even if the flock can't see them, even if the flock would choose to go toward them, the shepherd is to stop that and to step in, even at criticism, and to protect and to care for the sheep, keeping them pointed to Christ. In Ezekiel 34, a passage we'll look at more in our community groups this week, um, there is a rebuke to Israel's leaders. And the rebuke is, you guys are horrible shepherds. You guys, instead of bringing other people to food, you eat the food yourself. Instead of watching out for wild animals, you let them go wherever they want. If a bear gets them, great. If a wolf gets them, great, because you're just doing your own thing. The rebuke is that they weren't protecting the flock. And so we're to lean into watching out for and shepherding God's church. And the reason is the last part of that verse, 28, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Which he obtained with his own blood. Now that's talking about the blood of Christ. That on the cross, Jesus died and stepped into the penalty that we deserve for our sin. And that penalty was death. And as his blood was shed, as he died, he took the penalty that we should have taken. And if we turn our lives to him, if we repent and, and turn to him, he will forgive and he will show grace. And those that come to him, he formed into his church. And so the church really was formed by the blood of Christ. Now, now just a, a, a side note in, one, in 30 seconds or less. There's debate here, church of God, which was obtained with his own blood. God the Father doesn't bleed. And, and there's two ways to think of this. Number one, church of God, um, which he obtained with his own blood, that could be referring to Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, because Jesus is God. Um, also, uh, another one, which I think is probably more preferred, um, the Greek there means, um, can, can easily be translated, the church of God, with which he obtained with his own blood. And so the idea is that Jesus is his own son and Jesus made the sacrifice. And so that's just a, a side note in case you're reading that and like, oh, I don't understand that. We can talk more later if you'd like. But the next couple of verses say a couple of things that a shepherd is to be watching out for. So the shepherd protects, lean into watching out for and shepherding God's church. 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He's keeping the shepherding idea. He's like, when I go, people are going to come in from the outside. And this refers to external pressure. People are going to come in from the outside and they're going to teach false teaching. They are going to attack and they're going to try to destroy the church. Watch out. Be ready. Be ready to counter. Be ready to address. Be ready with scripture and be ready with truth. Predators must not be allowed to predator. Predate? I don't know. Pray, okay, yeah. But I like making up words. <laughs> Next verse though, so that's watching out for, for attacks from the outside. But verse 30 and 31, what if it comes from the inside? And from among your own selves, the New Living Translation says, even some of you, will distort the truth in order to draw a following. But from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And we know this. We've seen this in the church and in in, in different things uh, as as we can watch um, YouTube, as we can watch different teachings. There is false teaching out there. And, and the false teachers are always trying to draw, draw people to themselves, create their own following. There can be false teaching in the church. We are to be on guard to make sure false teaching doesn't creep into village and come from within. Now, how do you, how do you be on guard for that? I'm going to check each one of you at the door. We're going to do a little blood test. We'll figure it out. No, the way that we're on guard for that is to know the truth, to stand for the truth, and to be willing to speak truth. And, and if, if any of us stray, including myself, to say, I don't think that's what God's Word says. And then we're Brians studying to see if those things were true. God's Word is the standard for what is being taught. But people will attempt to lure Jesus calls people like this wolves in sheep's clothing, which I think fits here, the wolf thing. We have wolves from the outside, but then sometimes there's people on the inside that look like sheep, but they're really wolves. And I've seen people that have succumbed to pride and to arrogance that start to cause division, that start to to breed discontent, to try to create sort of a following for themselves. And that is what Paul is saying to watch out for here those people that creep in and try to steer people away from the truth. 31, we need to to wrap up. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so Paul says, how did I handle it? For three years, I taught the word and admonished the word and drew you back to the word and was on guard. I need to fill in C and D for those of you that are twitching a little bit right now. Find strength for ministry in God's power and word. Paul goes on in 32, And now I commend you to God. I hand you over to God. I pass the baton. And to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It builds up and also sanctifies us. And this is being committed to God and His Word. In ministry, it can be draining sometimes. When when you are discipling someone or when you're you're pouring your life into someone else in the church, it can be draining sometimes. And sometimes you just don't want to to go. Find your strength in God. Find your strength in His Word of grace and then show that grace to others. Are you in the Word? Because you're not going to be able to sustain ministry if you're not. And then finally, letter D, fight the sin of discontented coveting by working hard and being generous. I know this is the longest point of the day. Fight the sin of discontented coveting by working hard and being generous. And and again, coveting might be money, it might be fame, it might be status, it might be um, influence. It's, it's putting ourselves up above the work of Christ. And Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul's dealing with a couple of other pitfalls of ministry. We can fall into coveting, wanting something back for ourselves, wanting a claim, wanting to to even get approval. And he's saying, no, this isn't about you. This is about the work of God. And one of the great ways to combat that is to be generous, to seek to serve others. And so then we have Paul's good, hard goodbye at the end, sort of the conclusion, 36 through 38. Worship team, if you can come up while I read this. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. So they're meeting at Miletus, the city right below Ephesus. He says a hard goodbye. And they kneel down and they pray. And I can picture them praying for Paul's future ministry. I picture them praying for what's about to happen in Jerusalem. I picture him praying for Ephesus and the church there, and they're building up in prayer. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. The wording there is they they kept holding on to him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And so in the end... Paul says goodbye because he is convinced that he is to follow God more than convenience, more than relationship, more than what he wants. And they release him. And it's a hard goodbye, but it's been a good goodbye. And and I think of this is what brings meaning to life. I already said that. Elizabeth Elliot in Through the Gates of Splendor had just a great statement. I have one desire now to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. It's a woman who gave her life for missions, who lost, deep loss for the work of Christ. She says, I'm going to live a life of reckless abandon for my Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. May that be our desire. Just as we close, I'd like worship team to sing a song. Maybe bow your heads, close your eyes, spend some time reflecting on Paul's goodbye here and say, is this me? Is this me that I can say my life's really only about Jesus? There's nothing else that I put as more important but his word and his name. Let's reflect on the passage as we listen. Lord God, may that be the heart of our church. It's not about me. It's not about each of us. It's about you and your name and the gospel going forth. People coming to you and your work. Lord, if there's anything in our lives today that you are convicting us that we need to strip away, things that have stopped us from serving you, things that have stopped us from pointing people to you consistently, Lord, take those things away. Help us to give those to you. Lord, that we can live wholeheartedly for you, laser-focused, single-minded. Lord, I pray that whatever situations this church family is going through right now, that you would use every one of those situations to draw people to you, that you would use every one for your glory, and that we would be thrilled that you do. Lord, we give our morning to you. Help us to live like Paul and live for you. In your name, amen.